Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Once again, I'm Moussa Konga, and I'm joined again by Ryan Hun and Marco De Silva. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. And we're going to discuss the struggles of the European giants, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, and those who are taking advantage of those challenges. So, let's go straight in. Bayern Munich, they lost 3-0 at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Stunning result from the Allianz Arena. They were really, really, really poor. Um, firstly, let's say how good Gladbach were. They've had a great season. I think they're going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, pushing them for the top four. And yeah, they look very good. Um, player is their, uh, has been their key man. He's got a great goal in this game. But Bayern, yeah, they, they big issues there. I mean, I, I like Kovac. I'd like to see him, you know, turn it around but it does there's a lot of worrying signs the team seems very very unbalanced and they seem to be short on ideas your colleague jonathan harding at deutsche Welle commented that perhaps there was an issue with the squad aging so there's not only a transition from one coach to the next but maybe there's a sense of you know this is the oldest squad i think on average in in the uh in the bundesliga yeah i mean he's had to he's had to kovac has had to integrate um and this is perhaps a a a bullet that um, Jupp Heynckes was able to dodge but Kovac's job is to evolve this squad and take it from you know that the old guard Robin Ribery um, Boateng uh, even Muller to an extent um, and integrate the likes of Serge Gnabry you know we've seen Renato Sanchez play a big role this year but um, I don't know whether he's tried to do too much too fast Um, he tried to and I mean I don't want to put blame on Kovac because I think it's unfair Um, but Mats Hummels was not happy Um, he was not happy with with, I think it's the tactics he was he he came out and and said something the other day Hamas Rodriguez stormed out of the um, stadium 10 minutes after full time of the Ajax draw Um, he was a substitute in that game and got half an hour but wasn't able to to turn it around and Bayern were lucky not to lose that game um so yeah integrating new players is has been a problem for him um but against Gladbach they just were they were they were ragged and they didn't have a shape and they've now gone four games in all competitions without a victory lost two of those should have lost the th- another one um yeah it's it's not looking good and just to throw this in as well we won't We'll get back to Madrid uh, in a moment. But just to draw the analogy with what Madrid are doing, they've had a similar challenge. I think this is why Zidane mm. was a bit relieved to leave because he saw there being issues with the squad and the transition and the evolution and development of the squad. Yeah. And that wasn't really a job he fancied doing, I think, which is understandable after, you know. Well, Real Madrid's problem seems to be scoring goals at the moment. 
Is it f- how many games have they gone without scoring? I think it's five or six now. And that's a record. Yeah, they are not playing well at all at the moment. And obviously they've lost Ronaldo, who's a massive goal threat, but they've mm. got enough goals in that team. Um, so a lot of pressure on Lopetegui, like the same way there is on, on Kovac, two new managers in big, big jobs who are, they're under, I mean, massive pressure. Yeah. I think we underestimate how difficult it is to reconfigure an attack after someone like Ronaldo leaves. Mm. You know, not just the fact that he was someone that scored the goals, but the positions he took up, the runs he made, those are now things that as an attacker, as, as, as a midfielder, you, you can't make those passes anymore. You can't mm. put the balls into those places. So you've got to work out new Royals, new runs. And you've got players like Benzema, the greatest respect, Benzema was not the the reliable goal threat for so many years at Madrid. And now as expected from him, mm. Bale's being reintegrated into the attack. And these things take time. And you look at La Liga, those defences are extremely well organised. They're mm. smart. They can't just, you can't pick apart the average La Liga defence with just individual brilliance, unless you're, you know, Leo Messi and even he, he needs help. Mm. So, yeah. But back, but back to Bayern, because I want to talk about what's happening in the Bundesliga. And you made a very good point early on. You didn't just put this down to Bayern struggling. Yeah. There is very clearly, you know, a sort of quantum shift in the quality of the challenges this year. So mm. we're looking at Leipzig. They're looking good. I mm. had a huge win at the weekend. Dortmund, not only scoring goals, but showing an incredible resilience. Yeah. So there's other things. What else is happening? In well, the let's Bundesliga? not kid ourselves. The Bundesliga was only going to become exciting once Bas- um, Bayern became worse. That was that's a given. Um, it, it, we always said, "Oh well, the challengers need to step up to the plate," and they have improved. There's no doubt about that. But most of the reason that we've got such an exciting Bundesliga this year is because Bayern's quality has dropped. Having said that, um, Dortmund have been. Absolutely fantastic, breathless at times. Um, they're always going to concede goals. They let in three against Augsburg, but crucially, they scored four. And the manner with which they were able to turn that game around was thrilling. And um, Paco Alcesa, Alcesa, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to trip me up. Um, Paco Alcesa, he has uh, been a revelation. He doesn't always start, but he always seems to score. We've spoken a lot about Jaden Sancho on this uh, podcast before, another assist for him and a call up to the England squad, much deserved. Um, but you look at that forward line, even Mario Goetze came off the bench, he scored. Right. Um, they seem to have goals all over the place, whereas last year that wasn't the case. So they're leading the Bundesliga and um, deservedly so. But you mentioned Leipzig there, they hammered um, Nuremberg 6-0 um, so they seem to be finding their groove um, Gladbach Hertha Berlin um, it's it's nice to see Werder up there Werder Bremen Werder there Bremen well. of course yeah Davy Klassen was um, you know, had a nightmare season at Everton last year and um, has really redeemed himself yeah, he's so playing far. really well yeah so it's n- really really nice to see it mixed up as a as a neutral it's it's exactly what that league has been crying out for I think the fun thing about Dortmund this season is that it's they seem to have got that energy that they had at like peak Klopp and peak. They had it m- at moments with Tuchel as well, but they were. I mean, the game on on the weekend was just absolutely amazing. The atmosphere was incredible. Yeah. It was really exciting, and you know that was I think f- as a neutral, uh, the th- one of the reasons we used to watch Dortmund a lot of the time was because it was genuinely high energy excitement whether they lost or won it was like you knew you were going to get a a really entertaining game and they kind of lost their mojo a little bit over the last couple of years and it seems that Lucien Favre has has 
has really ignited them again. And one thing he's doing really well is I th- I think his 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 choice. It was something I mentioned that Emery has been doing really well for Arsenal, and and I think uh, Lucien Favre's done it as well. Is his choice and his management of the squad has been really really good this season. Like who gets minutes when, you know, who starts when. Jadon Sancho started on the weekend, I believe, right? And, you know, he's kind of gradually rewarding him from his performances. And he's just seems, there seems to be a real unity there that I've not seen at Dortmund for a little bit. He's got five or six forward players and he's rotating them enough to keep them hungry, Mm. but not too much to unsettle the team. And he's found that balance really well. But one thing I wanted to mention about Favre is that he, um, he's really managed to bring the best out of uh, Marco Royce. Um, You know, we saw Michy Batshuayi last year, he scored lots of goals in the second half of the season for Dortmund. And a lot of people, me included, thought, well, Dortmund need to replace this guy. Mm. Um, But Favre thought, well, no, we're just going to play Royce up top. And he was father was Royce's coach at um, Gladbach a few years ago, so he knows his talent. Um, when he broke through, he was playing under him, so he's returned him to a central position, and Dortmund look all the better for it. And I have to say, it's Dortmund for me have been one of the most thrilling teams to watch in in Europe this year. They were great against Monaco. What I love about the two performances, you saw them against. Augsburg and it was like rock and roll almost sort of late 90s <laughs> yeah sort of late 90s early 2000s Manchester United weirdly <laughs> enough you know but then you look at the game against Monaco and there was this incredible patience Monaco very much struggling they're 11th place now in the uh in the French league they're really struggling yes, yeah, they but if you look at um the way that the patience with which Dortmund unpicked them. Mm. Each of the three goals they scored against them in Champions League, they really dismantled them. Each of the three goals, they weren't sort of individual strikes from distance. They were Sancho drawing the man, slipping it through. Mm. And Alcacer, I was going to sort of shout out to him because he had a very, very tough time playing as the nine for Barcelona. A really Mm. tough time. And I want to say that the podcast because he is someone that got so much criticism last year, you know, online by the pundits. And this is a superb player who Mm. really has found his place in a superb team and is showing what a fantastic player he is. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's worth shouting out Axel Witzel and, and Delaney as well, two summer signings who are forming a really good partnership. Mm. Um, you know, Weigl's come in occasionally and done really well as well. Mm. So, you know, highly rated player still at, at Dortmund, but I'm pr- pretty sure I'm not the only one. When I saw Dortmund going after Witzel, I was a little bit, you know, one eyebrow <laughs> raised <laughs> mm. and yeah. not a kind of player you would associate with a Dortmund midfield maybe, but actually I don't think they're defensively mega tight as we saw at the weekend Mm. but I think that actually those two in midfield keep them a little bit safe yeah I've been impressed by both of them and they protect the 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 back four well especially the back the central defense because they're both young players and I think they're both developing and we'll see more from them next year they're learning the game so they need some experienced defensive midfielders in front of them and Witzel's been been really good but I think that one of the key things with with Dortmund's success is a lot of Young player. I mean, we see Pulisic. He ha- he's probably played the least of the the attacking players this year. Um, but when called upon, these guys are are, are over delivering more than what we expect. And that to bring it full circle is the complete opposite of what we've seen from Bayern. We see experienced players like um, um, I, th- I can't remember if it's the second. I think it was the second goal that Gladbach scored. Um, where it was a, a terrible pass to start with from from Neuer. Mm. Um, 
Thiago was instantly put under pressure, miscontrolled it. Um, and then Hummels was just turned way too easily. And these are three players that you expect way, way more from. So, you know, people will criticise Kovac, but some really experienced Bayern players need to look at themselves. Yeah, I mean, Hummel's defending for the third goal was just... I mean, when I when I was watching it, I actually thought there must have been a whistle or yeah. something. Yeah. Because he just stopped and gave up. And the other two in the middle, I can't remember who they were, but yeah, a lot of problems going on at Bayern. They don't I, seem a happy camp. I have serious concerns about Hummel's just generally as a player. I think he's... He was, he never had much pace, but he was always able to read the game and know where to be at the right time and make that right decision. But his decision making is off. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Bayern's success over the years has been built over that really dependable central defence. And Boateng is also not the player he was. And this is where you know you you need to look at the players because they're not performing at the level that they we expect from them. But you also need to look at the buying board and say, well, maybe they should have put their hands in their pockets this summer and, you know, they've buying a club that make a lot of money and they should be, you know, their record signing is Toliso. Um, they need to be spending more. There was that, um, foot, was it footage or picture of Rummenigger and Hesse storming down to the dressing room <laughs> after the game? So I don't yeah. know, maybe some stuff's going to come well, up. Well, I think complacency is a big, a big issue there. Um, you know, they, they probably don't feel like they need to spend to, to, to win the Bundesliga and maybe to, to an extent they're right, but they're never going to be European champions again unless they consider the opposition throughout Europe. And that's, you know, your your Real Madrid's, your Barcelona's, these are the teams that Bayern should be comparing themselves with. No, all great stuff. And I, I want to say before we move on to talk about Spain, which we will just in a brief moment, I love that you mentioned Pulisic because I remember thinking this time last year, if you'd said who's the primary playmaker for Dortmund, you might have mentioned him and like alongside Royce, maybe more than Royce. Mm. And the fact that he basically got an afterthought in this podcast just shows the depth in attack that Dortmund have which is yeah. really exciting it's changed really fast at Dortmund and yes yeah, it's, it's it's good to see what I love about that and you know in contrast to Madrid for example I think there is a real problem with complacency you know the challenge of freshening up a squad with new signings you know, Courtois in goal, that's a great addition, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's its a challenge to Navas, who is a fantastic player, but I think you need to make these big signings to keep everyone on their toes. They haven't done that um, in different parts of the field. And you have Lopetegui as well, who really came in in sort of chaotic circumstances and is, you know, very visibly not enjoying himself and neither is the president, <laughs> Florentin Perez. And there's an iconic moment when Alaves scored the winning goal late in injury time. And just, you know, Lopetegui's head in his hands. <laughs> and I'm, I was thinking to myself, you know, there are many clubs where you'd have a more charitable reception to a result like this, but Madrid is very much not one of those clubs. Well, which players have Real Madrid brought in over the last few years? Like, say, the three years since Zidane took the job. They haven't really added to that squad. And that's where Zidane has been, you know, he's been rightly applauded for winning three consecutive Champions Leagues. But... He never had to do some major surgery on that team and they're kind of aging together. Well, the weird thing with Madrid is they've got these young attackers, Mariano, I think, and Vinicius yes, yeah. Junior. These are these youth. They've kind of skipped a generation of <laughs> yeah. additions, right? It's really weird. Yeah, they, yeah, they kind of hit like a basketball. They've blown it up. 
They're like the they've Lakers a, were. Yeah. Remember the Lakers were adding all those players who were trying to win a ring for the first time and they didn't actually win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they had this with Carl Malone and whatever and, you know, God bless them. Sorry, no, no offense. Well, one thing fans. I'd say about the game of the weekend for Real is it shows how important Carvajal and Marcelo are for them. And they just looked very stale. And uh, to be honest, I mean, I only caught a little bit of the, the game on the highlights, but um, I might be wrong here, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a steal. Mm, Do you know what I mean? No, no, it was fair. Can I be quite brutal as well here? Um, you know, Tony Cruz has been very vocal about the failings of other players um, in the last few months. We won't name those players because we've gone to that detail already. Leroy Sano. <laughs> but Tony <laughs> Cruz. <laughs> Tony Cruz did not. <laughs> okay, since we're Lisa naming it. Since we're, yeah, since Cruz called. Look, Tony Cruz did not have the best Champions League final. Um, he looked quite rattled against the early press in a way that Modric didn't. And against CSKA Moscow, he made a terrible mistake in the midweek in the Champions League um, to concede the only goal. And, you know, I think that teams have worked out how to press him. Mm. He's a tremendous playmaker, but when you press him, you cause trouble because he's not defensively that strong. And so there are structural problems. And what, what amazes me, actually, is that Real Madrid allowed Kovacic to go so quickly to Chelsea because yeah. he was a superb player who would have been terrific if they'd reconfigured the Madrid midfield. Yeah, especially knowing that there's going to be a new coach, he's going to have new ideas. Makes sense, right? Right, and it's extraordinary. Whoever allowed Kovacic to go so quickly to Chelsea really has to look at themselves because that's a superb player. And that really, I, I saw him as the future of the Madrid midfield. Mm. I mean, that, that mid, Madrid three in midfield, or I think they actually played a four at the weekend. I think they kind of played a four four two. Casemiro, Kroos and Modric. Modric is by far the most dynamic out of those three. And he's not exactly a lung-busting, box-to-box kind of midfielder. He's busy, but Casemiro does his job really, really well. But I think if they had someone like Kovacic or a more dynamic, even maybe moving Isco into... Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, you know, as another one of the three. Because right. Isco always comes central when he plays wide anyway. And I think that there's some serious questions to be answered about... Tony Kroos and Lopetegui's got to figure that out quick because Real Madrid not scoring for over six hours or whatever whatever it is now that's not something that a lot of managers would survive and what I love about La Liga is you really can't rest on your laurels because you've got a club like Atletico Madrid who had a difficult start you know maybe just making a transition but they are very much edging up on the outside rail and what I love about their recent game they beat Real Betis 1-0 mm. this weekend what I love about it is it's the most Atleti result ever so they win 1-0 at home. I think they had 36% possession. They scored a late goal and then just shut out Betis. Mm. And what I love about that result is it's like, yeah, this is peak Simeone. This is a club <laughs> that I think they, they played eight, won four, drawn three, lost one. Um, they looked the really league, good. I've they got looked the, really uh, good in the Champions I've League the as well. just here. Atleti, yeah, played uh, one, four, drawn three, lost one, they scored conceded nine, four conceded goals. four. Exactly, conceded four. They looked really good in the midweek in the Champions League. Griezmann was absolutely brutal. I mean, minimal possession, but maximal efficiency. And what I love about Atleti is they're just clicking into gear really nicely again. Lamar has integrated well to that team. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got Sevilla looking really good. Barca rumbling along as usual. Mm -hmm. To do with the Atleti thing, Colin Miller posted a really interesting about Betis, who they're only eighth and they're only four points off the top spot at the moment. But he, th I think he said that um, something like, Betis have not conceded goals in 16 of their 17 halves of football. <laughs> well 17, 16 of their last 17 halves of football so I was like but they've not really scored many either so I went back and had a look and figured out that they've only scored in 5 of their last 20 halves so they've had this real they're really solid defensively and they're really actually quite fun to watch but they just can't finish 
they're, the, they're the minds of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. La Liga. <laughs> but, but if they yeah. if they can start finishing or add someone who can finish and put away, they could be really dangerous as well. They've made some really good signings, you know, winning Car- uh, Cavalio, sorry. Uh, Mark Bartra we spoke about last week. Canales, they've got like good mm. players in that squad. Mm. If they can get a real finisher, they could even rock it up there. It's also the case in the Bundesliga that a lot of the teams that are maybe bottom half and some of the top half, they're just one really solid striker away from shooting way up the table. Right, right. And that can often be the difference. Briefly mentioned the La Liga table. Alaves are also sixth. Espanyol are fifth. I know it's only eight games in, but mm. first to tenth, there's six points at the moment, which is pretty intriguing. Mm. It's intriguing, absolutely. I th- what I would say with, in, in Real Madrid's defence, not that many people would have uttered that phrase, is that <laughs> they grab two, three wins on the bounce. They're back in the mix again. Yeah. You know, and they're only, they're only a few points back still. When we're talking about struggling giants, we can talk about... It's a bit of a... <laughs> I'm going to talk giants. about Man United again. I don't know if they're still giants, but uh, interesting win for United at the weekend. They came back from 2-0 down after widespread reports. The Jose Mourinho is going to be sacked at the weekend. They came back to win uh, 3-2. Mm. Uh, we won't dwell on that result too much because we had a long chat about United in the last podcast. But just fascinating how that was very much a result that you would not have expected at half time, given that United were 2-0 down to Newcastle and looking frankly pretty awful the thing that interested me about that game is that the three players that dug United out and possibly saved Mourinho his job the three players that have been sidelined by Mourinho himself Mata Martial and especially Sanchez um, so I don't know Mourinho could say well yeah there it worked you know but I <laughs> You could also say that there's more players that he's alienated than he hasn't. <laughs> I think I texted you after the game, didn't I, about Scott McTominay. Yeah. And I think that actually this this weekend was the first time that this Mourinho situation actually made me a little bit angry because there was a um, moment in the first half where, I mean, he started Scott McTominay again as the right of a back three centre-back. And, who, and he's not a centre-back. He's a young, developing centre-midfielder. Yeah. Newcastle came out of the blocks that played the best football I've seen them play this season. Now, whether that's because of them or because of the situation at United, we don't know. But then he hooked by after, was it 17 minutes? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And left Scott McTominay as a centre-back in a back four with Chris Smalling Mm. and then took him off at half-time. You know, this this felt to me quite cruel where you have it, you had... Publicly humiliating. And playing a guy in in an out-of-position who's still young, still developing, and then him getting exposed quite rightly in that position because it's not his best position. And then he comes off at half time. I don't think it's a sustainable relationship. I I think that, you know, watching Mourinho and watching United beat Newcastle, that's a team United should be beating with that kind of firepower, Mm. frankly, just with sheer natural talent to be beating them. And I really feel like this kind of, this win will be looked back on as one of those peers in a relationship, you know, you've been with someone for a few years in a relationship and like, you think it's over, but you have a really nice weekend together. You think, oh, there might be something still in this. Well, no, it's the long-term trend is it's over and you're kind of just enjoying the dying embers, but it's done, I think. And that's my opinion on the whole thing. From a, a spectacle point of view, it would have been quite unbelievable if Benitez had pulled off a victory and been the one that finally got him the sack after <laughs> their history as well. I mean, I know it's a little bit kind of like tabloid... Splash no, but it was, that's thing. football. That's but, football. You know, I mean, he yeah. was quite mean about Marie, uh, about Benitez, and he was brutal. That would have been, you know, I kind of like to see Rafa do well 
Yeah, and, and he's had rich. a really difficult situation at Newcastle as well, and he's stayed pretty dignified about the whole thing. It's rich for Mourinho to talk about a manhunt when he's been bullying other coaches for years. And players. I mean, he's been manhunting players out yeah. of his own... I mean, signing Mkhitaryan would probably laugh. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was Mourinho said, I'm 55 years old, and the first time in my life I've seen a manhunt. I was like, well, you literally signed a player, didn't play him for two <laughs> for two months, put him in a derby against City, hooked him at half-time, and then mm. laid into him. You know, it's yeah. bizarre. It's, it yeah. kind of just seems... I know we've spoken about this a lot so maybe yeah. but yeah. I think it just seems to be that he doesn't something about it seems like he doesn't want to get out of the situation because he's, some of the decision making is so crazy with the lineups if you're, if you're struggling I mean it's very easy for me to sit here in my comfy chair and with zero coaching qualifications or whatever but you, you tend to see people revert to you know safety first very kind of like organised and which is what Marino has been great at over the years and it's just all very scatterbrained and Something needs to give, I think. Let's not forget the role of the, the owners in the, all of this as well. Yeah, they've for been, sure. They've been um, if you treat squeezing as like, much yeah. money out of them as they can over the last If you treat years. a football club like a revolving credit facility, as they have done, you know, essentially the owners of Manchester United enjoy football about as much as Mike Ashley does, probably less, <laughs> frankly. Um, and they're basically, in, in terms of their attitude towards the ethos of football mm. and the running of a club, they're essentially Mike Ashley with better PR. Yeah. They just don't appear in public. They just yeah. don't, you know, do the whole, like, they don't give it the whole wide boy act, but they're pretty brutal people. And, and for, let me just be this honest as well. On a personal note, I find their support of Donald Trump's re-election absolutely reprehensible. Mm. I need to say that on the record because for sure. they're organising a fundraiser for Trump's re-election. You know, yeah. that's that's what we're dealing with, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, while we're on the Premier League, we m- might as well talk a little bit about Arsenal. They were... I don't mind about that. They were pretty impressive. Um Big win for Chelsea as well against Southampton. But Arsenal yeah. first. I mean, we saw the best from Lacazette and Aubameyang got a couple. How do you think about their their performance? Um, Ramsey too, by the way. Yeah, Ramsey came on and did really well. Mm. Um, I, I tweeted at halftime that it was a weird game because uh, Fulham, I think, had way more chances than Arsenal in the first half. Um, and then all of a sudden Arsenal got the goal, looked like they could have got a couple before half time and then Fulham scored just before half time Andre Schurler with a really good finish and uh, all of a sudden it was a bit familiar it was yeah. very that's a situation that Arsenal have got themselves in mm. a lot of times over the years but then fair play to them in the second half they um, they really kind of got into their stride I think they were helped by some very um, kind defending let's yeah, say yeah I was I, I wasn't sure at times whether it was Fulham being very bad or Arsenal being very good it was yeah. probably a, a mixture yeah definitely but um, Lacazette looks really good I I, I really and again what we were saying with um, Lucien Favre earlier I, I, what I think Emery's had a really tricky week you know Watford at home um, who are who seem to maybe well maybe we'll talk about them in a bit but um, and then a big trip to Azerbaijan um, and, and, in the week and I should just say that he didn't use the competition in the way that Wenger did where he would play um, a significantly weaker team he kept the core of that team there. yeah he brought Lacazette and Ozil on at 2-0 yeah. in that game on, yeah, yeah. on Thursday against Karabag. Yeah, but he's basically I think he's really um, he's doing a really really good job of rotating the players and, and there seems to there's you know there's still issues but I think it's it's um it's starting to it's starting to to click and I think actually this is a this was a really 
really important game. I think winning this one and going into the international break yeah. with nine on the bounce was massive. Well, that's what I was going to say. Nine wins in all competitions in a row. Yeah, they lost the first two. I mean, talk about a baptism of fire. It's the champions City, at home yeah. and then Chelsea yeah. away. Yeah. And then I think if any if you'd asked any Arsenal fan before the season, you'll lose those games, but you'll win nine on the bounce going into the, the second international break. I think everyone would have would have absolutely taken it. Yeah. Can I just throw this as well, just in relation to the win or the the approach towards um, the Europa League? Emery, the king of the Europa League at Sevilla, mm. so he's someone that really understands the prestige, the importance of that tournament, what that can bring to a club, the momentum it can bring. So I love that he is kind of carrying that tradition on. Um, because obviously we've had a lot of managers who haven't taken that that Thursday night league so seriously, but I think it's a great stepping stone. I also think that he, before the season, would have identified that as probably their best chance of getting back into the Champions League as well. Mm. So, I mean, currently they're, they're fourth. Um, I think they're just ahead of Spurs on goal difference, but it's very, very tight up there again. You know, mm. I think it's Bournemouth right behind Spurs and then Wolves. The way things are know. going though, I think Arsenal... You have to say, uh, uh, heading right into that top four, um, United are off the pace a little. Spurs are kind of stop-start. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal are the form team at the moment going into that, that those upper places. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, there will be tougher tests, and that will be a real barometer of where they're at. But I think um, after getting those two difficult games out of the way very early on, it's kind of let them have a, you know, not a a super easy run, but mm. a, a fairly, you'd say fairly kind run of fixtures to find their groove mm. um, so that everything is a lot more familiar when those big games come up, you know, and and I think they're also quite lucky is that they don't have too many massive back-to-back games. There's a trip, a Europa, Europa League game before the North London derby, but other than that, there's, there's no more kind of like Man United away than Spurs uh, away. Just, kind of. Yeah, I have to say I'm, as a Spurs fan, happy that the North London derby is not right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, the Spurs record is really good. I mean, what one, what played eight, one six, lost two. That's a really good record. Yeah, yeah. Under Pochettino, they've been they've been by far the better team in the North London derby in the last few years for yeah, sure. Spurs think, are just yeah. good. Okay, this thing, this is the problem that Spurs have. Very, very good performance is the new normal for them. They're now operating at level, and that's a credit to Spurs now that people are mildly disappointed with things so far. I mean, they got torn apart by Messi against Wembley, uh, Wembley but frankly, <laughs> not the first or the last thing that Messi will tear apart at Wembley, so no yeah. shame there. Yeah. And, you know, they're still keeping a, a, a good fist of it. I think the thing that impresses me about Arsenal, I will say, is the attacking depth like Dortmund. They've got Iwobi, they've got Mkhitaryan. Iwobi's been great. Actually, yeah, I, he is midfield. someone who... Uh, Iwobi deserves a lot of praise because he... Um, was brought in and played in very, very big games, like against Barcelona away, for example, in the Champions League, and then seemed to kind of stall. And um, I think that in the last few years of Wenger's reign, you, you saw that with a lot of young players. They came through, but then they struggled to actually push on to that next level. Mm. And um, he seems to be making a lot of noises about how, how much he's enjoying his football under Emery. And I actually think Emery really, really likes him. Mm. I should mention as well, while we're on the topic of Arsenal, that, Ryan has written a, a very good article on Aaron Ramsey. He's far too humble to... Uh... Yes, far too humble. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you should check that out on the website, rabonamag.com. Really Actually, nice uh, piece. Yeah, on. he sent me the piece. I liked the piece so much. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, he was, oh, my piece has gone out on the 
the website and I yeah. saw it and I was like, I didn't have an edit function because I was hoping to put my own name up top of it. Those like, you know. <laughs> well, are the things that you two are professionals and I feel like I've got my, my two uncles are being like, well done, lad. <laughs> Ryan, you're the pro. You're, you're, you're in. The, Uh, Should we talk about Spurs? Because I want to talk about the red card for Cardiff, which was possibly one of the wildest tackles I've seen. I I was watching that game with German commentary and (laughs) they they couldn't believe that it was a red card. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, my German's good enough now to understand that they were <laughs> perplexed. But for me, it was one of the clearest red cards you'll ever see. Absolutely. It would have been a red card in Kreisliga. Yeah. I was going to say, anyone that's played with German referees at amateur level yeah. will have a different story. Yeah, yeah true. Um, how, do you, how do you assess the... I mean, from from a, a neutral, it kind of just seemed like that Cardiff game was a game they just needed the points to get out of the way. Yeah, um, it was a terrible game. Um, Spurs eventually... They just kind of saw it out and got the win, but they didn't play well. Uh, without Christian Eriksen, Spurs are a completely different team. I mean, they can afford to lose Deli Ali, Dembele. They've got enough in reserve to compensate for that. But Christian Eriksen is a kind of a uh, a very different type of player. Once in a kind of well, Spurs haven't had a player like him since Modric. So when he's out, Spurs really feel it. And yeah, they, they really struggled to create opportunities. And that was the problem against Barcelona. And it's even a problem with the greatest respect against Cardiff as well. So yes, kind of um, having the depth of squad to, to handle injury crisis is, is, is an issue. But for a club that don't spend that much, yeah, you have to, uh, you have to expect that. But my biggest, um, my biggest concern from that game is that it's early October and Lucas Mora was wearing gloves. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, hey, it's a <laughs> Maybe he's got poor circulation. You know, un- cold un- hands. Unacceptable. Was he wearing short sleeves? That's the only thing. If it was short sleeves, hey, I Pogba was rocking short sleeves and gloves yesterday. Yeah, but I have an issue with that too. I mean, <laughs> I love Pogba. You know, we got to like, got to say it as it is. But one thing, I'll do, let me throw this in as well. Um, in relation to squads, which are impressive but maybe a bit small, and we'll get to Bournemouth in a second because they deserve their own moment of praise. Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard is absolutely superb for Chelsea. I just worry with Chelsea if squad depth is a challenge for them um, because it's the only thing that, to me, will hold them back over the next few months because they look superb at the moment. They do. Ross Barkley scored a really good goal. Eden Hazard, as you say, was superb. Yeah, I think Chelsea are going to be there or thereabouts. And I said at the start of the season that they would struggle. How wrong I was. Do you know what's funny with Chelsea? It's because they treat their company, they treat, sorry, the company, Freudian slip. They treat their club like a company and they headhunt for a CEO slash coach and they bring him in uh, and they have the performance metrics and if they're poor, they underperform, they get them out and they don't have any shame in that. And that's actually just really good corporate governance. It's really good corporate governance. Yeah, Chelsea have become, you know, when you think about when Abramovich first took over in 2003, they were throwing the cash about all over the place, but they're now, much like Manchester City, a very well um, run company i don't think it was a freudian slip at all mariana granovskaya has to be given yeah for her recruitment um and the way they they're really forensic the way they they look for their coaches she's been crucial in um in all of the good work that they've done behind the scenes but you know chelsea yeah they they judge themselves on how many premier leagues they win and they need to be there or thereabouts in the last stage of the Champions League. So that has to happen for them in the next year or two. Yeah, I think that even though they only won the league two years ago, there's a very clear sign there with how they can progress, which yeah. is to, they tend to yo-yo quite a lot, Chelsea. They'll win the league and then they'll hmm. drop out to fifth or sixth. I think they really want to solidify as like a top three, a proper top three mm-hmm. every year 
deep in the Champions League. And I think actually with someone like Sari, it's the first time in a while I can see, uh, again, kind of very similar to Lucien Favre at Dortmund, a little bit more unity and, and a little bit more fun maybe. They, they look like they're actually, there's a better spirit there at Chelsea than there has been for a while. Mm. Let me get in um, talking of teams competing at the top. Unexpected team maybe up there at the moment is Bournemouth, who have had a couple of terrific wins in recent weeks. 4-0 over Watford, who are you know, the season's early pretenders, and they just got blown away. Josh King and Callum Wilson doing most of the damage in that game. Yeah, I mean, when when Bournemouth play well, they are really, really, really good. I think that Eddie Howe, I just think he's a really interesting guy and an interesting manager and mm. an interesting coach, kind of retired because of injury quite young, mm. really studied, travelled. You know, he went to famously went to spend time with Sarri when Sarri was at Empoli, Empoli or Lecce? Maybe, I got, sorry, I've got that wrong. Anyone of 20 clubs, sorry, manager. Yeah, 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 one of those. Years, yeah. Um, and was, I, I'd like to see him do well. And I, I, I really hope that, um, no disrespect to Bournemouth or mm. Bournemouth fans, but I hope that he can really get them as a top 10 club and then maybe move on to a bigger club or a bigger job and, and succeed, you know. Well, how long do you think it's going to be before, as you said, no disrespect to, to Bournemouth, they've come into the Premier League, established themselves under Howe and been really, they've added something to the, the league for sure. But how long do you think it's going to be before we see Eddie Howe offered one of these these top positions? Because, you know, this we're in an era at the moment where there's not many top English coaches about um, and you look at the Champions League and the teams that are in the last eight the last 16 of those tournaments very rarely see English coaches in there do you, do you actually know which this is based on nothing but a hunch but I would not be surprised that if uh, Eddie Howe's next job is actually abroad I've got a sneaking suspicion that you might see him get an offer from somewhere like maybe even a Bundesliga club. You know, the Bundesliga and German football culture, they're very keen to like promote up, you yeah. know. So you see a lot of players, I mean, Tedesco is a prime example, mm. got a, a, a team up from the Bundesliga three, right? And mm -hmm. then straight into the Schalke job. Same happened with Tuchel at Mainz and same for Klopp. Mm. I reckon maybe that kind of environment would appeal to him, yeah. actually. And I think he'd, I think, I mean, you I'd don't really, know, but I'd love to see that. I'd love to see, and actually he's probably the first English manager maybe since like, I mean, well, I mean, obviously there have been English managers abroad recently, right, right. but I think f moving from a Premier League job to abroad. Yeah. For, for, he would for be ages. so well suited to the Bundesliga actually, I think. Hoffenheim would be the club that springs to mind. I mean, that, that would be... The only problem with Hoffenheim, actually, if you consider the Bournemouth in terms of revenue, a big club. Mm. So I think the yeah. challenge would be resources. Mm -hmm. In the Premier League, actually, he's perfectly placed. If he stayed at Bournemouth for the next like two, three, four years, his stock will keep rising. Mm. The football they're playing is wonderful. If you look how the players are evolving, Callum Wilson's got over the early injury problems. It's been terrific. Josh King is just great to watch. Mm. And they're just the style they play with, the style that Bournemouth play with is just such a hallmark. Yeah. What I love about them is they're just a great fixture in the Premier League. They're always entertaining. I feel like there's no podcast where I don't mention Jadon Sancho, but he has really set an example um, because anyone who's listened to this podcast who's not from England may not appreciate that English players just do not go abroad. It just hardly ever happens. Um, a friend of mine texted me recently. He's a Dortmund fan. He said... I'm pretty sure Sancho's the the last English player I saw before Sancho was Kevin Keegan, right? Um, it's it's true. There's there's it it just doesn't Certain happen. Paul Gascoigne. So I would love to see yeah, <laughs> a few notable exceptions. I would love to see how do that. And yeah. I it hadn't really occurred to me before you mentioned it, but I do think he would be he would be suited to 
to one of those teams that are, you know, pushing for the Champions League and he can get that experience as a coach because he's a, a, a bright a bright light in um, in uh, English coaching. Actually, speaking of Hoffenheim, we forgot to mention Reese Nelson scored again this weekend. Yes. Doing well. So I think actually, you know, a lot of English players are going to, well, not a lot, but there's a, you know, Nelson and Sancho, yeah. are, I think will pave the way for more English players to go to the Bundesliga. And I think someone like, imagine if you had someone like Howe at Hoffenheim yeah. and, uh, you know, you'd have a lot of that, the top four or five clubs loaning their good, good young English players out to how in the Hoffenheim. It's it's almost too perfect. It can only be good for uh, for the English game. And I was watching the BT Sport coverage of um, Manchester United versus Newcastle. And they were discussing after the game, Jaden Sancho's call up to the England squad. And Rio Ferdinand was saying, yeah, well, it's it's great. And he knows Sancho and he knows his, his family because they're from a similar part of London. Ferdinand said, yeah, but I want to see the likes of Sancho, this young English talent breaking through in England. But it's just also, not going to happen. And also, does it really matter? I think it's like, if you look at if you look at any other major footballing nation or non-major footballing nation, you know, players are everywhere. So I think, I think you think need it's... to be where you're going to develop the, the fastest and become the best player um, and play crucially football every week. And, you know, you look at someone like Phil Foden, he's undoubtedly one of the most talented of that new generation coming through for England. But if he doesn't get game time soon, and let's face it, he's not going to get it soon. You know, he plays in a similar position to David Silver and Bernardo Silver. He's not going to get that game time. Um, people like him, players like him, they need to be advised that if they get an offer from these types of teams, the Hoffenheims, the Gladbachs, you know, similar level teams in, in other leagues in Europe, they need to strongly consider that. Well, actually, let me say, it's a bit sort of cynical here, but I love the fact that Sancho is here in Germany because he'll be left alone. Like yeah. because the football watching public in the UK is actually quite insular in terms of its viewing habits. Sancho can come to a game for England, you know, set the game alight for twenty minutes at a time, and then return to Germany, and he's kind of off the grid. I mean, Chris Waddle was the same. Chris Waddle when he went to Marseille, one of the best players in Europe, probably the best player in the Europe in Europe for that sort of yeah. year long eighteen month period and didn't get that much coverage in the UK. And hopefully Sancho will have the same thing where Dortmund is a safe haven to develop his game. Well, in the past, where English players have played abroad, you mentioned Gascoigne, Waddle. Um, David Platt. Right. Yeah, Platt, Des Walker, um, Keegan going back even further, Ian Rush, well, Lineker. not English, but British. Um, when they have gone though, and all of those players we just mentioned went at the peak of their career to uh, for a big move, you know? And it was kind of a safe bet almost. It was, or not a safe bet, but like, you know, this is one last challenge for me. Um, the difference now is that we're seeing guys at the very start of their career breaking through. And that's what makes it really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and we've said this before a million times, the Bundesliga is the perfect, perfect place for that, yeah. for those talents to develop because, you know, they have a real, the, I mean, Tactically, it's not a million miles away. Uh, mm. It's very energetic, um, you know, very technical as well, and um, and it, also they get they get game time. Yeah, and it's it's actually really physical as well. Oh yeah, some of the games are really uh, really tough. You know, I wonder. I mean, you know, a player that's beloved to at least two thirds of this podcast, uh, Jack Wilshire. I wonder if someone like him considered at some point a move like that, you know, maybe a move completely out of your context and try something new, I wonder. Well, I think he turned down Valencia um, a couple of seasons ago. That's right. a shame. I think he turned him down on loan and he might have turned down a permanent deal with him as well. But I, I always thought actually Jack was perfectly suited to La Liga. Um, right. I think, that, but unfortunately, I just don't think we'll ever see 
um, the Jack Wilshire that we thought we were going to see in 2011. Um, well, it's know. unfortunate that West Ham have um, started to play well at a time when Wilshire is nowhere near the team. Yeah. Very quickly, I feel it'd be remiss not to mention it very quickly. Um, the case against Cristiano Ronaldo continues to build. Uh, there's obviously some great reporting you can find. There's a Ewan McKenna piece, which is fantastic. And Shireen Ahmed has done a great section. On, I think the Burn It Down podcast on that. And she's written for Time magazine about it. All I'll say at this point, because the case is still developing, it's very interesting and notable that the key sponsors for Ronaldo have stepped away, um, or at least had an element of arm's length uh, in re- recent statements that so they've said, you know, in EA Sports case, they've taken him off um, the cover of the games. Yep. Nike have made a statement expressing grave concern. And mm. you just have to feel that, you know, the storm clouds are already rumbling over this case. And it'll be fascinating to see how it develops in the next few weeks because things need to be moving quite, quite quickly, I think. Yeah, well, the Me Too movement hasn't really kind of spread into the sports world so much. Mm. So this is a, a really interesting case and it's unbelievable that it's affecting one of the biggest sports stars on the planet right so how this turns out it could really set a precedent i must say as well i'm really um encouraged by the sensitivity with which this has been handled dash yeah. beagle i think you've done a great job absolutely follow-up pieces ewan mckenna has been very interesting as i mentioned um unusual efforts podcasts have been great but i'm just encouraged to see you know peers of ours in the football writing community but also beyond that really tackling this case with forensic detail yeah um, there's been some great coverage i would say not too much sensationalism of it um, and i think that bodes well because this isn't just about ronaldo cristiano ronaldo it's about how we handle these allegations are they taken seriously can people come forward and feel yeah. they'll get a fair hearing and so far you know it, it took a while to get to this point i think 2017 is when the peace first came out in april it's yeah it's, it's been going while, for, for yeah. a, well over a year now yeah yeah but, but yeah, you mentioned Dash Beagle there. They've got a lot of experience in building and publishing these kind of cases and they've done it with the utmost professionalism. And Christoph Winterback, we should mention as well, the right. Hamburg-based journalist who was, he's a sports editor there at, at Dash Beagle. He's been key to, uh, to, to, to all of this. So yeah, it's, um, we're all, we're all very interested to see uh, to see how this is concluded. I think you said that you know you, you were kind of encouraged by a lot of the sensitivity with a lot how this has been handled. I kind of would like to. Oh, and not by the clubs. I mean, Juventus. <clears throat> no, I mean, no, no, no. I wasn't going to. Pu- yeah. I wasn't going to pull you up. And I was also say it's a shame. It is a real shame that there has been so much insensitivity on the other side of it, where people are using athletic ability as a a reason that it would not be something that he would do or anything right. like that, you know, yeah. and I think that's As a means of defense. Yeah. And I think the the statement from Juve was kind of gross, actually. Right. It was, um, very poor, wasn't it? I don't, it think, says, I, yeah. well, I don't think they needed to do it for a start. And I think they could have, I think this is the thing that in, in a situation like this, where, you know, there's allegations been made, but, but legally at the moment, he's not been, convicted or charged you know so the club can come out and absolutely like tackle these head on you mm. know with with a sensitivity and separate that from the kind of sporting side if they have to mm. um i think this this public you know he's a champion and therefore right yeah. and it rightly got a lot of pushback yeah. online and, and uh, i think they followed it up with a retweet of um so i think a juve women's yeah, I know. Yeah. Which was also a yeah. very transparent. I mean, all I would say with that, and Juventus, you know, if anyone from that camp has listened to this at all, Juventus is a club that actually has had a substantial rebrand in recent years. They're very conscious of image, very conscious of 
being a family club, a club for the youth. You know, this is a club that obviously cares very greatly about how they're perceived. And I think maybe to an extent care about maybe actually, you know, what they're doing behind the scenes as well. So for them to take a step like this, they've got to have a rethink and be, look, is this who we really want to be? Because we're not only talking about Ronaldo, who is one of our star players and who is a hundred million euro asset we've invested in. This is also bigger than Ronaldo. Like Juventus will be Juventus with or without Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. You know, five years from now, they'll still be Juventus. And they've got to think very carefully about what kind of legacy do we want as a result of this? Mm. You know, do we want to be a club where people can feel comfortable, can support, can come and feel like, you know, we're part of the Juventus experience without, with, you know, I mean, a statement of incredible insensitivity online. Well, you know, yeah. as you say, in a few years' time, when people look back on this, however it turns out, right. um, they will remember how it was handled at the right, time. Right. Can I just throw in Wolverhampton Wanderers because they won again? Sorry to jump in, but I have to sort of... Uh... Underlining, underlining their status as the the best ever team to be promoted yeah. to the Premier League. And they're only five points off top, so it's on. It is still on. Because I just want to say that they've done that. So that is such a beautifully coached and balanced team. Yeah, I love that they create chances. I love their patience against... Um, opposition both superior and inferior mm -hmm. the way they stick to their guns and play their football I think that's what's so nice about Wolves this year is they remind me of you know when, when Fulham came up with I think it was Tigana mm, and they, yeah. they just play their game and his toothpick they, they just they just <laughs> <laughs> iconic Wolves, Wolves just play their game and I really like that like teams that come up with a, and, and Brighton as well let me give Brighton some respect too because there's another side that's very hard to break down and they are, you know, quick to establish themselves as a Premier League. They're hard to break down at the Amex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Um, so basically, I'm taking from this podcast that after our doom and gloom, the future of football a couple of weeks ago, actually everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's all fine. Um, can I give a quick shout out for actually to, I was in Tbilisi for the weekend and I wanted to shout out Ash, my friend who lives in Tbilisi, who listens to the podcast. Oh, awesome. Huge Liverpool fan. I really hope Liverpool sign Nabil Fakir so he can stop telling me about how much he wishes that Liverpool would sign Nabil Fakir. But I said I'd give him a shout out and uh, yeah, top man. So Can I say also, Ash, um, we've barely mentioned the result, uh, the stunning... Uh, we have all. Well, no, no, yeah. all. Game it's, of the weekend. Ash, Ash, if you're listening, obviously, you know, as a smart football man, you'll find that game an absorbing encounter. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be re-watching the nil-nil draw many times in future because it was uh, obviously a connoisseur's delight, which means to say it was... Not very interesting. We probably should have mentioned that game at some point. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so because I think that game was so hyped and it was so, it was raised the rafters as an example of, you know, two teams inventing football. But actually, yeah. it felt like a Champions League first leg, which in a sense, essentially it was because, frankly, those teams are not going to drop that many points against other opposition this season. Yeah, they, they, they seem to be uh, just not a lot of control in either midfield and I think the whole game suffered on on that and poor Gabriel Jesus you know penalty taker in Aguero's absence and Mares takes the ball off him and I think that ball's still traveling somewhere over Liverpool <laughs> oh lord <laughs> Just landed in the mud over the Irish Sea I mean one thing I will say about that game is uh Liverpool Man City it's quickly feeling like the new big fixture in English football and it's also feeling like the kind of game where you can't tell from the outside whether it's been played home or away for either team because mm. in terms of how they set up now and the way they nullify each other I mean, I mean it's so funny how Liverpool even went out and got themselves a Brazilian ball playing goalkeeper <laughs> and there was one moment there was one moment of pure parody I think it was in the second half at the end of the first half or the start of the second half 
when Liverpool tried to play, no, sorry, Man City were trying to play out from the back and the ball goes in and out of the Liverpool area, like the Man City area, three or four times. And it was like Benny Hill. It was absolutely coming. It was like that thing that Barca do when they play nine one twos when they're 4-1 up and it's the 88th minute. But it was just in their box in a nil-nil. Actually, quick, quickly touching on the game though, because one thing you said there where it feels like the new big fixture, that first opening, well, the first eight minutes were frantic and it reminded me of the peak kind of Arsenal-Man United Right. games where they would explode at the beginning and then sometimes maybe not be the greatest games and it really didn't feel like it was going to kick off I thought the game like was going to have a it felt like there was a second win coming like about the hour mark exactly yeah. yeah and yeah midway through that second half I thought maybe Liverpool going to mount something here but yeah it was it ultimate, can, ultimately can I sound will, really there harsh there will be no DVD can I sound really game. harsh it's like listen to those kind of like I'm not going to name any names but it's like listening to sort of down tip down tempo electronica acts and so sort of like so sort of early two thousands where they had a big build and you expect like a drop, a big bass drop, and they just never added the drop. Oh. And the song's like eight minutes long and you're like teases. Yeah, it's like it never actually comes. So disappointing. <laughs> uh, should we wrap up? Because you need to uh, you're jet setting. Yeah, I'm jet setting. I'm going to New York, everyone. Not to uh, mm-hmm. not to sort of make you feel bad about you know. Can I do a quick bit of housekeeping? Yes, before you, can. you, uh, you can. Is it housekeeping? Is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, uh, We're not sure if we're going to do a podcast next week because Moose mm. is away. It is an international break. We might do. So we will tweet it. Yeah, and also, uh, yeah, I'm on an international break because I'm literally <laughs> Moose is inter- on an international. So, did I mention so... I was going to New York? Sorry, did I mention I was going? To <laughs> no, New York? no, no. When's that? Uh, I'm going to New York. Oh wow, great! Yeah, thanks. Have yeah. a nice... Where is that? New York. <laughs> no, it is New York. New York. I'm going state. to Manchester. So who's the real winner? <laughs> That's true. Michael, your thoughts? <laughs> I'm going to Bonn. Actually, <laughs> one thing I will say: one, the reason I'm in New York, and this is uh, slightly work-related, is I'm doing. You're uh, doing a plug. I do a plug, yep, yep. We're doing a song for the Bundesliga because the Bundesliga have opened an office. I can talk about this now. They're opening a, a US office to boost their presence out there, which is really exciting for them because mm. the Bundesliga right now is, in the words of the young people, it's popping right now. Uh, <laughs> the young people say that. My sister says that, so that counts <laughs> as a young person. And um, yes, yeah, so we've written a song for them, my band, which is quite exciting. So we'll be doing that out there. What's your um, band called? No, I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not going to go that far, but I'm just saying that I make music. You and can just find it on his Twitter bio. Yeah, you can find my Twitter bio. But all I'm saying is I'm very excited to be there for both personal and professional reasons. Are you going to go and see the basketball? I haven't got tickets yet. Going to see some opera, actually, and some wow. break dancing. And we're going to a zoo. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, there's, well, I don't high know what culture, to say to that. High culture and higher culture. <laughs> I've got a feeling this is going to need an edit. Yeah, I think it will. <laughs> Gentlemen, once again, absolute pleasure. And our audience, thank you so much for listening and we really appreciate your support. Please tell a friend, tell an enemy about the Rabona Mag podcast. You can find us at Rabona Mag on all social media platforms and please find us wherever you get all your good podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Speak soon. <laughs>